Hello. I'm Emma Knights, Chief Executive of the National Governance Association, and here we are again uh, with our governing chatters for the 1st of October. And so we look back at what has happened in September and look forward to what do we think is going to happen in the month of, of October. And boy, hasn't a lot happened in September. Um, but really, hats off to our schools uh, for opening again despite everything that is going on around us and around them. I think it has been a really good result that, at, that about nine out of 10 pupils um, are back at school. But we've also seen, haven't we, that quite a number of teachers and pupils have been having to self-isolate uh, because of potential uh, infections. And I think that's been just hugely frustrating for everyone involved after all the hard work to get pupils back, being educated uh, in their classrooms. The last thing any of us want is for young people to be having to be at home, even with the possibility of uh, remote digital education. So what we were finding was that the uh, test and trace system just wasn't working for schools, that teachers um, and pupils uh, with suspected COVID, with, with COVID-like symptoms, were having to wait just too long um, and starting to cause problems um, with making sure that we could cover um, staffing uh, in the school. So we got together with um, our professional association partners, ASCL, the Association of School and College Leaders, and the NAHT, the National Association of Head Teachers, And we took the step of writing to our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, to point out these real problems that we were in danger of going backwards in terms of pupils being at school because the test and trace system, which had been promised to us before we opened schools, was not up to scratch. We asked him to take responsibility for that because it's not just an education issue, is it? It's a much broader cross-departmental public health um, issue. The Department for Education did actually respond the next morning and opened up its own um, line to try and take some of the pressure off the public health local teams who were being inundated by calls from schools with suspected uh, cases. But unfortunately, that phone line isn't working as well um, as might be expected. So even this morning, I got an email from one of our members saying, you know, what can we do about this? One of our teachers took a week to get a, a test uh, result back. So if you've got concerns about that, examples in your schools, please do um, let us have those because we are um, in constant conversations with the Department for, for Education. On alternate weeks, we attend a school stakeholders meeting that is chaired by Nick Gibb, the minister um, responsible um, uh, for these issues. And uh, in the in-between weeks, we have a stakeholders call with, with officials. So we've got really good ways of feeding back to the department and you keep giving them um, your information as well, direct using that uh, phone line. We've also talked about the uh, Ofsted visits that are being proposed and have just been piloted. Um, 
discussions go on with Ofsted about that because we still have concerns that this is not the right time to be instigating these, particularly when there's a letter um, attached. But that's not something we're going to talk about um, in this this podcast. Um, there's a couple of other things we covered during September that we're not really going to have time to talk about in any detail um, today. For example, um, I blogged on the issue of um, diversity on governing boards, particularly around uh, race. So please do have a look at that and think about um, that. Is your governing board as diverse um, as it needs to be? Or do you need to make a proactive attempt to recruit people from different backgrounds, from different um, ethnicities? Sam Henson has um, uh, written a blog um, on um, MAT governance, uh, multi-academy trust governance, and that came out of um, uh, our survey reports, which we have been beavering away at producing all six um, uh, mini reports because our survey data is, is so rich, as Sam introduced um, last time. And while I'm on the topic of um, uh, blogs, we also had a guest blog from one of our ethical leadership um, pathfinders from the um, Ethelstone Trust, uh, which actually leads us beautifully into the topic we are going to talk about for this half hour, um, which is going to be the topic that is probably of most importance, maybe to you, I hope, but certainly to us at NGA over the coming academic year. And that's the topic of um, leadership the governing board's role um, uh, with with leadership. So today I have with me uh, all three um, of the directors at NGA. Uh, so uh, Sam Henson, I've mentioned already, our Director of Policy and Information. Hello. And Steve Edmonds, our Director of Advice and Guidance. Hello. And Emma Bolton, our Director of Professional Development. Hi. So, to lead us off on this incredibly important topic for governing boards, Sam, uh, tell us a bit about what the survey um, has said about um, the role uh, of supporting and, and developing our leaders. Thanks, Emma. Absolutely. And, you, you know, we, we know effective governing boards know their senior leaders well, don't we? And And, and, and that's all down to building relationships that are built on trust and mutual respect and professionalism. And these are the, the, the things that really we saw coming through uh, the survey this year. Um, challenging and supporting senior leadership, uh, you know, is, is, is clearly something that, that we know is one of the, the governing board's um, most important functions. And, and that is something we really wanted to look into this year and, and dig a bit deeper into that. Um, and, Recruiting those senior leaders, whether it's a head teacher or a, a chief executive of a trust, um, uh, that is that is something that that people are telling us is without doubt one of the most critical decisions that they ever take as a board. Um, so I think actually what 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 governors and trustees are telling us about that process is is really important, but not just that process itself, but how they carry on. Um, that process, how they carry on um, with the support they provide to leaders um, and, and building that the relationship going forwards. 
Um, we found that attracting talent to those posts is much harder in certain places in London, for example, followed by the southeast and east of England. Um, uh, and just to recap on a, a couple of overall findings, uh, Emma, nearly two in five governors and trustees uh, surveyed agreed that it's difficult to attract uh, candidates for senior executive leadership posts overall. Um, senior executive leadership positions were particularly difficult to recruit in schools judged inadequate, as you might expect, um, by Ofsted. Um, with 62% agreeing that, that it was difficult. And that, that fell to 45% for those governing and requires improvement for schools, 36% for, for good schools and 39% for outstanding schools. Um, and in terms of uh, senior executive leaders leaving their post, um, just, just quickly to touch on that, the most often... Uh, uh, um, direction that they went into after leaving that post was moving into retirement, um, uh, which uh, perhaps isn't isn't surprising. So that's just a, a couple of the the overall findings, Emma. But but like I said at the beginning, what we, what we really wanted to dig into was you know, you know what what are the challenges um, for those who recruit senior executive leaders. Um, and and uh, how do they really bring them into the organisation and look after them and 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 work with them on an ongoing basis? Um, so uh, we asked we asked specifically uh, for those who recruited senior executive leaders within the past two years, um, what what were the aspects of the role their newly recruited leaders found most challenging? And I think this really gives us a, a really good insight into the, the, the sort of areas we need to provide more support in going forwards. Um, and uh, so I'm just going to give you a bit of a rundown quickly of those most commonly identified challenges. And number one, without doubt, was organisational management. And by that, uh, I'm including management of staff, management of strategy and risk and financial management. One respondent um, characterised it really well. Uh, as they said, the, the business elements of the role that are outside the experiences of a classroom teacher. So we know that that in particular is, is challenging for people who are stepping into this role. So organisational management very clearly tops the list of the topics that new school leaders find most challenging. Some noted that while finance was not one of the senior leaders' core strengths, it was exacerbated by by a sort of general lack of, of 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 school funding in general and kind of not 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 finding it that easy really to get to grips with the school funding uh, situation which as we all know is it can take a long time to get to, to grips with that um well whereas others noted that members of the board were able to use their own professional skills in finance in hr and management to help guide those new senior leaders um in in those aspects of the role so I think that that's a really interesting uh, find there. Um, Absolutely. And and I think it's so important for the sector to hear that in a sort of quantitative way, because I think it really um, backs up what we've heard from governors and trustees for years. Um, and I have passed that on and other people have passed it on both to um, professional development providers and to the uh, Department for Education. Um, but it's not often 
what makes those providers, you know, get out of bed in the morning. You know, most um, educationalists you know, got into the job because they wanted to teach children. That's where their heart, you know, soul is, isn't it? And, you know, saying, but actually the develop you, you need is about financial spreadsheets or risk assessments. Um, it is just it, not quite as sexy, um, <laughs> is it? <laughs> No, and I think as well, you know, by by that kind of term, that senior executive leader term, you know, we, we're covering a lot within that, aren't we, as well? So I think there are, you know, we've we've how varied the sector is now in terms of the the, you know, when we look at maintain schools, when we look at trust, when we look at the the varying positions that would potentially fall, come within that that senior executive uh, leader bracket. I think there's also a very wide um, uh, kind of number of activities that you could associate with, with those different roles so I think that that's a real challenge as well isn't it for not only for those individuals to get used to that but also for boards themselves to to really establish what it is that their leaders really need to be honing in on. Absolutely but I thought what was so interesting and I and perhaps a bit unexpected was because our data set is so big we can cut it can't we for different structures of schools and I thought those answers might be different depending whether you for example were a head of school within a multi-academy trust or whether you were employed by the trust as an executive leader or a head of a standalone school and actually what our data showed was that by and large governors and trustees were reporting those same gaps which was which was quite I thought quite fascinating and maybe not what I would have guessed Um, but I think also this shows doesn't it how useful the survey is because we you know we've already sent that off to the Department for Education when we had those results embargoed because the DFE are currently um, reviewing their frameworks um, for the national professional qualifications. Many of of you listening will know about MPQH and may well have recruited um, ahead in the past with with MPQH. But I think we're probably going to come come back to um development in a in a little in a little moment i'm getting ahead of myself there so sure sure we go back to recruitment as you said it's such an important part of getting the right team in in place um and bring in emma because um your team have uh, been working on improving um our resources uh, on on recruitment do you want to tell us a, a, a bit about those Yes, we've got um, uh, an e-learning module that we've been working on. Actually, there are two parts to it. The first um, takes an in-depth look at all of the planning and preparation um, that's required. So it's lots of stuff, I suppose, about actually having a full realistic timeline that allows adequate um, space for not just the advertising and the interviewing, et cetera, but the the notice periods um, as well. We have uh, worked with our um, partners um, at ASCL on um, creating some really helpful resources for people. So there are sample timelines and shortlisting um, sort of checklists, if you like. Um, as you go into sort of unit two, it's um, the, the specifics of conducting a recruitment. Um, it sort of chimed, Emma, to me as well with your Uh, sort of recent blog um, around equality and diversity issues because it's obviously not just 
on boards that we've got concerns about that, but also within the, the sector itself. So there's some quite nice things in there um, around, I suppose, making sure that you are um, particularly bearing in mind equality and diversity issues when you go out to recruit uh, with some top tips in there. Um, you know, that an independent consultant can ensure, for example, that your process is objective and transparent. There are quite a few out there um, that provide that service. We, we've talked to people about excluding non-job related criteria from the list of, of sort of requirements and selection criteria and even looking at things like your adverts. So make sure that they don't contain images or descriptions that might alienate potential applicants and even explore the issue of whether it's possible to offer flexible working so that you can attract a, a different kind of person perhaps into that role who, who you might not have considered previously. But I suppose the, the main thing for me is to make sure that people have had training um, so that they're thinking about things like unconscious bias, the Equality Act, um, and, and all of those kinds of things. So there's loads and loads of tools um, there. And actually, they're, they're sort of um, due for release any minute now. But Emma, you alluded already to sort of head teacher standards and MPQ frameworks being reviewed. We're, we're trying to link to those resources. So um, it, it's a bit of a watch this space. The modules are ready to get out there, um, but we want them to be attached to the most recent and relevant versions of those resources so that they're as, as useful as they can be. Absolutely. And I think head teacher recruitment is one of those times um, when, when actually e-learning really comes into the fore, doesn't it? Because no matter how much we say to, to people, you know, you need to be prepared in case you need to uh, recruit a, a head teacher or another senior leader. Actually, you know, it's not something, unless there are big problems, that your governing board is doing sort of year in, year out. Um, that would suggest, you know, that would suggest uh, things had gone a bit arise so sometimes this is a once in a governance lifetime um, activity and and that's where perhaps particularly if somebody for example retires early as there's a lot of talk about at the moment it may take a, a governing board a little bit more by surprise um, and therefore being able to turn to learning link and find those modules there I think I think will be um, uh, really, really important. Um, and then once you've 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 recruited your senior leader, we then get into the um, uh, somewhat vexed question of performance management and that that relationship between the board, particularly the chair and the senior leader. Um, and NGA has been on a mission for some years, really, to turn appraisal into a force for good because that phrase performance management has a lot of sort of bad connotations within the education sector when actually it can be quite the opposite and it can provide a, a platform for support and and development so we're continuing and upping that that mission this year um aren't we steve did you did you want to say a bit more about our our work on um, appraisal and development yeah, absolutely. And I so love that strap line appraisal uh, as a force for good. Uh, and, and I know that many of our members do as well. And we're, we're speaking to so many governing boards and, and trust boards who really get this and who really want an appraisal uh, and performance management 
performance management culture in their schools and trusts that embraces development and professional growth and well-being as much as uh, it, it, it approaches the aid process through a, a narrow accountability lens. And, you know, we're, we're always candid about this, aren't we, when we discuss these issues that the system, uh, the current system that is so sort of driven uh, by by data and and, uh, and accountability measures, which, which are quite narrow, does push us in that direction. So it really is up to us. One of your phrases that I always love repeating, Emma, is we don't have to wait to be told about these things. So as governing boards, we are real change agents when it comes to making um, appraisal a force uh, for, for good and, and part of a more holistic and progressive performance management process. Uh, and this year, um, as we've often said, is a year like no other. And, and as, as boards are now reflecting on, on the process and looking, looking forward to an appraisal process for, the, for this coming academic year and reflecting on the previous academic year, we've already had to uh, take a pragmatic approach to uh, objectives that were set over the last 12 months because of uh, school partial school closures and everything that's happened. And, and, and in my experience, boards have, have taken that, that, that pragmatic approach and have made sure that you know, those things have been taken into account. Um, but now we're looking forward uh, and setting objectives, those of us involved in, in the appraisal process. We don't have those points of reference and, uh, and the data and the evidence uh, base available to us, perhaps in the same way that we have had in previous years. And I know that's quite disconcerting for some, but we say, you know, embrace this opportunity, use it to focus a process and make it a values driven one. Uh, rather than one that is attached, um, so you know more uh, to to those narrow data constraints that, that I mentioned a few moments ago. So over the coming twelve months, I'm sure we'll be seeing objectives that are broader, that take into account that assessment of physical and mental health and well-being of of staff and and, and pupils, and and how through leadership we will ensure that people get the net, the support they need to both get through this period and, and, and flourish. And of course, that gradual assessment of, of what, of, of what um, pupils have learned during lockdown and, and how we can, um, we can support them uh, to progress uh, given, what they, given what they've been through. So it really is a, 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 an, an opportunity for us, which I think we, we have to take. And uh, from our perspective in, in, in NGA, we've been active in in creating and improving our guidance to help support that. So our appraisal guidance has, has been updated uh, and that, that is to make it much more uh, easier uh, to navigate, but also um, to emphasize those, that values driven approach that I've, you know, I've just been talking about. And, and, we've, and, and we've also got a learning link uh, bite size module, which complements that and probably a good opportunity to bring Emma back in on that. We, we have indeed. I was just thinking, actually, Steve, when you were talking about values driven and kind of broader objectives, that it, it's really about going back to your, um, your your vision, isn't it? So the vision that you've set and the make, make sure that those objectives are aligned to achieving that, whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Um, and I think, you know, it chimes with the recruitment as well, um, because you want to make sure that whoever you recruit actually you're thinking about that vision is the person 
um, who you take on going to be somebody who can fulfill that for you and are their, their own values and their own vision for the setting aligned to yours as a board. Um, but we did um, very much thinking about the time of year that we're in right now, think that it was pertinent to um, launch a bite-sized module. So it's just a 10-minute module around setting performance objectives for executive leaders. So it's a real short, sharp, um, uh, sort of new style module, really. We're moving much to, much more towards doing shorter, sharper bits of learning for people so that, as Emma said before, you can dip in and out as and when you need it. And it's just kind of a, a quick check. Obviously, if you want more information, we have got things in the guidance centre and more meaty modules as well. But um, it's been so well received. Matt just um, sent me a message, actually, to say he ran an evaluation report and we've got 99% of everybody that's done it would recommend it to somebody else. So I think that's probably, um, you know, a, a real thumbs Absolutely. up to that new style and the timing of it as well. I, it's so, I think it is such a win-win, isn't it? Because it's shorter. It's encouraging people um, to, to do it, understandably, you know, volunteers doing huge amounts already um, and in fact actually that was something else that came out of our our, our survey which was was really hopeful and, and and pleasing the the huge proportion of governors and trustees who do do training almost almost 90 percent so okay you know you could be churlish and say well we want it to be a hundred percent but actually 90 percent of people volunteering to do it is brilliant but it, we've shown haven't we that those smaller ones people will um you know find the time to do much much more quickly so the fact they're doing it is great. And then the fact that they love it is is even better. And I think the thing I'm really pleased about in terms of our whole approach to this right across everything we're, we're producing is the fact that we're stressing the language of objectives and intelligent accountability. And I do get dismayed still when I see on Twitter and other places people talking about targets as though these things have got to be absolutely you know quantitative and we don't you know think about this in a more um sort of humane all-encompassing way as you and and steve have been have been talking about but i think the culture out there is beginning to to change and i think we can uh, this will help do do this and i think for those governing boards who don't feel as confident um you will be using um uh, an external advisor um, to support you and that's one of the things that Emma's team um, NGA's consultancy um, team can do so you know if you're wanting to think again about how you do this differently please do get get in touch with us and get some some support um, uh, for that and Steve the sort of conversations and feedback we've been having from governing boards is um concern isn't it about the pressure on senior leaders and a real push about well-being actually for everybody well-being for pupils and staff and governors but but particularly that that worry about um uh, senior leaders and what what they're up against so you know what do you think that governing boards can can do to make a, a real difference on this yeah one? well i think this is a really this is a really interesting one and i think you know we we we're quite rightly emphasising the, the the language of support here, and you you've just said intelligent accountability, and I think those things are really important. 
I, I would throw in another phrase, uh, intelligent challenge here, <laughs> because I think there's 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 a real there's still in in schools embedded within the school system that we still encounter this this traditional view of a leader of being the sole source of power and responsibility, and that's a lot to take on anyone's shoulder, isn't it? Uh, anyone's shoulders, and some school leaders are so focused, I think, in a good way on enabling others that they forget to look after themselves. Um, so one, I think that one of the most important things we can do as governing governing boards at the moment is to make them realise that it's okay to prioritise themselves and look after themselves, to create the space in their in their day, in their week, in their year, to to plan their own approaches, to clarify their own thoughts, you know, reach out to others, whether that's for coaching, uh, mentoring, or even just a second opinion. And I think that's that's a really important. Um, not easily quantifiable uh, thing that boards do, uh, you know, intuitively, but just has such an impact. But going back and touching on what you've just said about what we're hearing and seeing, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, there is a there's a wealth of research data, isn't there, around at the moment, including our own from from the survey, which shows that heads and exec leaders have really had a hard time. Uh, recently, you know, managing the safe return uh, uh, to school and, and supporting others to to do that. Um, but you know, I come back to that point. You know, who's looking after them? Who's checking that they're getting those basic requirements of their sleep, eating properly, exercise, family time, and and I think encouraging them to school leaders to look after themselves really is one of the most important things we can do as governors right now. Um, now our uh, contribution to this conversation and this uh, and this perceived need really is is uh, an evaluation tool which we we have produced um, along with as part of the national well-being partnership that NGA is proud to be part of and with colleagues in school advisory services and it, it, it's a it's a an evaluation tool a well-being evaluation tool that's designed to be completed by governing boards and school leaders together to assess the culture of well-being throughout their school and trust. And it's, it's, it's based on their, their approach they take to looking after themselves and then they, how they model that to others. And as I'm saying this, I'm probably hearing it, uh, people who are listening to this podcast saying, oh, Steve, not another evaluation <laughs> tool. What about our workload? And if, if you know me, uh, as 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 you guys do, but perhaps the, the wider listeners may or may not know me. I, I'm with you. I, I am I'm one of those people that always questions another evaluation tool, another checklist to complete, and that's absolutely the right thing to do. But I think this is so important that actually it's a statement about making time to reflect, consider, and and, and really think about these things deeply uh, as a cultural uh, rather than a compliance issue through your school and trust. I, I'm always the last person to throw around, you know, legal duty of care and, and, and those, yes, of course we have, the, we, we work within a legal framework, but this is about people, not process, not law or procedure. It's about doing the right thing for, for our people and by extension, our pupils. So I would really um, recommend that we, we, you look out for that. Uh, it, it will be on the knowledge, it is on the knowledge centre and um, use that, use that and, and give us your feedback on how we can, can improve it because this, as you said, Emma, is something that we will continue to talk about and continue to contribute to this really important wellbeing discussion. Absolutely. And, and um, 
I think it also sort of builds on the the evidence from um, from the surveys. Um, Sam, you've been looking, haven't you, at the questions um, about engagement with with stakeholders, um, and obviously that's now the fourth core function of governance, as far as NGA is concerned. We're we're very much pushing that this year um, as well. Um, so you you'd ask questions, hadn't you, about engaging um, staff, pupils. Um, and parents and there was a slight yeah. difference wasn't there yeah absolutely so i mean what, what the survey generally found this year is actually schools are much better at engaging with parents than they are with with staff and actually we, we found the, the the kind of levels of engagement dropping down um from from parents being the the top one um through to pupils and then and then staff so um, uh, really interesting findings and actually Emma going back to the very first thing we were talking about um, one of the things I meant to say earlier was actually one of the things that that senior leaders um, uh, uh, have been shown to to struggle with uh, is exactly that that stakeholder engagement side um, that, that had come through the survey as well so it's really interesting that that, that all ties up and I think it goes back to that earlier point it's, it's a very different thing to be doing compared to you know when when you're um uh, perhaps uh, uh working in in the school in a different capacity um but i, I think uh, at, actually um what we what we found is that uh, the the level of whilst whilst those those levels of engagement differ depending on on the actual stakeholder the actual the means of um capturing those thoughts the means of of going out there and 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 speaking to st stakeholders is, is quite similar. So as, as you'd expect, we've seen a huge increase in the number of surveys that have taken place over the years, and that is by far the most popular um, means of, of, of doing things. So there are there are certainly some emerging pictures that mm. I think we can build on, but very much a lot of work still to, to be done do. there. I think. Absolutely. And that's right, isn't it? The the story is, is a good news one, that governing boards are getting more information about their stakeholders, but just surprising that staff were at the bottom of that list, um, not the top. So yes, it's really just a note, isn't it, to, to people, what information have you been getting um, about about your staff and, and a number of aspects um, of, of staff? Because obviously we're very interested in development of school leaders but actually you know if, if young people are going to get the best education they can proper possibly get we want all our staff to be um, at their best and developed and that is a real tension at the moment in some places with funding still being tight and yet we need to make sure that all our staff including our leaders actually get the time to develop um, themselves. So that's one of the many balances that, um, not easy one, the governing boards, I hope, will be thinking about um, this year. How do we, despite COVID times, um, protect that CPD time for, um, for staff? And development's very much something we hope to be producing more on this year so that, for example, a chair recruiting a new head knows where he or she can turn um, to signpost um, good 
um, uh, development opportunities or a range of development opportunities. Um, and a number of us are having conversations with lots of different services out there who are um, providing counselling, support, um, coaching, mentoring, development programmes of, of, of various sorts for our, for our leaders. And I, I think sort of just to, to, to finish um, off these thoughts here, it's, it's great that there's so much conversations about these topics out there. I think the sector as a whole is prioritising um, these issues. So, so much that we'll be doing um, on wellbeing and development on, on leaders will be done with, with partners, as Steve has mentioned. So, there's one last initiative that I'd like to mention, which is the Well School um, uh, Partnership. And that's being pulled together by the Youth Sports Trust. Um, and again, it's got a focus on, you know, what makes a well school, what makes a healthy school, um, but both healthy staff and and healthy um, uh, pupils. So look, that's launched recently. Look out for, for more on that. And here we are talking about lots of people's well-being and workload. And the other thing we know from our surveys, but our ongoing work, is that you as governors and trustees, but particularly chairs, um, do have a significant workload. So we've got um, another uh, publication coming out in um, October, um, looking at the role of chairs, but also, more importantly, probably the, the, the sharing of leadership, distributed leadership, the fact the governing board is a team and we don't want chairs to be isolated as as sort of hero hero chairs so i'm really pleased this is the first place that we've announced it um that on the 12 20th tuesday the 20th of october um we have an event um a visible governance event on chairing and we're going to welcome um, baroness berridge who is the minister with responsibility for governance there and she will be uh saying uh some some words addressing addressing the audience um that is um in part going to be an invited audience because we want to say thank you um to those chairs that have been supporting our future chairs um work but if you've listened to this um, and are a chair or a vice chair who who want an inv invitation then email events at nga.org.uk and say say you heard about it on the podcast and we'll make sure you get yourself on that um, invite list. We've also um, got a session on leadership development um, as part of our third and last regional conference. Uh, we will uh, be welcoming a panel to talk about these issues, including the deputy director from the Department for Education, who's been overseeing what by then should be published. We've we've referred to a couple of times the new head teacher standards and the new frameworks for development. Um, so even if you're not within that particular um, region and you'd like to join that session, again, look out for that in the newsletter on the website and please do join us because one of the advantages of being virtual is we can welcome more people to those events than we did uh, when you had to cross a region on a Saturday. Um, 
we had hoped by now that the um, uh, four of us, when we were recording these podcasts, would be sitting around our boardroom in Birmingham, socially distanced, having this conversation. Um, and sadly, because of uh, what's going on out there with COVID, we are still um, dispersed across across the Midlands and obviously need to continue um, doing uh, these these chats for a while um, like that. But we wish you all the best um, in uh, your schools managing whatever is being thrown at you and your leaders and your staff. So very good luck with that stay in touch and we will help pass your concerns and I hope answer your queries. So thank you um, for listening from me and goodbye from Sam. Bye. Steve. Bye. And Emma. Bye. I hope you join us next month. Thank you.